Sermon 32 of the Sermons upon the Epistle of St. Paul to the Ephesians by John Calvin, translated by Arthur Golding. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Let no filthy speech proceed out of your mouths, but only such as is good to edify, as need shall require, that it may give grace to the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you be sealed for the day of redemption. St. Paul correcteth a vice here, which is very dangerous, and yet notwithstanding so common as can be among men, because they see not at the first what harm it bringeth, and therefore do take leave the easier to do it. For it will be said that to hold pleasant talk, and in the meanwhile to think no man no harm, is a thing which may be abidden, as who should say, it were possible to poison your neighbour's mind, and yet for all that it should be no harm. And hardly men may be persuaded that it is so, notwithstanding that the Holy Ghost have said it. I say that when there is any light or lewd talk or tending to give liberty unto evil, it is all one as if talk were ministered to poison men's souls. Now then, it behoveth us so much the more to mark what is told us here, for St. Paul termeth it filthy and lewd talk, which cannot but infect. Men will deny it, as I said afore, but experience showeth sufficiently how it is not without cause said in another place that evil words corrupt good manners. Though we were never so modest, chaste, clean-minded, and given to good, yet if we admit wanton talk, it pierceth even to the bottom of the heart, and we be attainted with it before we perceive it, insomuch as it marreth us utterly. And in very deed if a woman give ear to the messages that are brought her, tending to seduce her, a man may well say she is a harlot already, and the thing itself is manifest enough. Then is it certain that all unchaste and lewd speeches are bawdy tricks, and although the party that are so given to casting forth of such lewd talk do it not always of that mind, yet of what intent soever they do it, Satan is the author of it. And, as I said afore, if such unchaste and loose talk have full scope, needs must we be poisoned out of hand, and the mischief have his course." And therefore, not without cause, doth St. Paul forewarn us that no unclean speech, or, as I said afore, no filthy speech, proceed out of our mouth. And on the contrary part, he setteth down that we have sufficient matter to talk of one with another. That is to wit, to edify, that men may fare somewhat the better by our communication. Accordingly, as even the heathen men can say, that it doth one good to be in such a man's company. And why? for he shall ever hear some good sentence, and he never goes from him without carrying away of some good. And it is nature that moveth them to say so. Therefore, let us learn to abhor and shun such plaguiness when a man shall have his tongue so loose to speak words that smell of the pump, as men say, and one shall hold the one side and another the other, and that instead of receiving good, a man shall feel himself to be stung by Satan." and indeed of a very truth when such words enter into our hearts ere we be aware of them they be stings that satan giveth us in secret and unespied seeing then that they be so can it be said that such a man is worthy to be heard should we not hate him rather as a deadly plague ye see then that the thing which we have to mark in the first place is that our lord hath given us tongues to make one another privy of our minds and that is to the intent we should make them to serve the benefits of our neighbours, and thereabouts we ought to employ them wholly. And the tongue which is the meant to utter our hearts and minds one to another ought to guide all the residue as having the superiority over them. 
On the other side, not without cause, is it termed by the name of glory, to show whereabouts we ought to employ it, and to what use, namely to the honouring of God. Therefore, if we looked well upon the order of nature, it ought to be sufficiently printed in our hearts that our words should be necessary, and to the furtherance of our neighbour's welfare and profit. The first point, therefore, which we have to bear in mind, is that our Lord will have all the parts of us to serve to doing good, and specially our tongue, so as the drift of all our talk be to edify. As, for example, one hath need of counsel, another of warning, another of rebuking, and another to be put in mind of something, or else to be taught, because he is utterly ignorant, and again it extendeth to all things in this present life. True it is that the principal thing which we have to look unto is to teach the ignorant and to show them the way of salvation. Besides that, if any man misbehave himself, so as he be negligent and slothful, he must be spurred forward by good exhortations, and if he be unruly, he must be shamed, as much as lieth in us, that it may bring him back to the service of God. Again, a man must comfort such as are in heaviness, and give counsel to such as are in distress, to the intent they fall not into despair. To be short, we must endeavour to hold back the poor souls that should else go to destruction. And of all others, that is the principal benefit. But yet, if we see a poor man that is like to be deceived, we must give him some warning of it. And when we be once come to that point, it is certain that we shall give ourselves continually to the benefit and behoof of our neighbours, yea, even infinite ways, as well in respect of the body as of the soul. And let us see now whether we have not sufficient ground and matter to work these things upon. We cannot go one step, but we see how one hath need to be spurred, another to be rebuked, the third to be comforted, and another to be taught. If we hold our tongues at all this, and care neither for the bodies nor for the souls of them that are linked to us, and with whom we ought to be united as the fingers of a hand, is it not an open despising of God when we embase the natural use of our tongue in such wise? And therefore let us keep us from marring of the thing that we ought to set so much store by, namely the means which we have to glorify God, to make confession of our faith, and by calling upon Him, and also by serving our neighbours turns after so many sorts, as I have showed already. And so the first point which we have to mark in this strain is the lawful use whereunto God hath ordained our tongues, and how they ought to be applied wholly thereunto. Now, if we ought to procure the furtherance of our neighbour's salvation, and also their temporal benefit and welfare, what a thing is it if we seduce them by our disorder, and utterly quench and put away all fear of God in them? When we serve Satan by our loose talk, when we labour to deface all honesty, when we move men to a beastly life, is not such defiling of our tongues an utter perverting of the order of nature? Then let us learn so to occupy ourselves in good and necessary talk, as we eschew the defiling of ourselves with wicked communication, which are as boards tricks of Satan to corrupt such as were well disposed to serve God. And so we see that... Look how many loose speeches pass in the world. So many spiritual poisonings are there, as I said afore, to corrupt good manners. And although we cannot be made to believe it, yet is it certain that it is proved sufficiently enough, even by experience. Howbeit, let us not be as fools that will not learn but by great harm, but rather let us yield to that which is told us by the Holy Ghost. And hereupon we may gather that it is not to be thought strange, though the world be nowadays given to all lewdness. For it seemeth to be no evil at all to use jesting and scoffing talk, insomuch that men would make a virtue of it, and find no bones at all in it. 
Likewise, we see a great number of jesters and scoffers whose drift is to put away all shame, that men might let themselves at random and become utterly shameless. We see this too much in use, and therefore no marvel though we gather the fruits of that wicked and cursed licentiousness which is too much suffered. And hereby we see also what is to be thought of all wanton and bawdy songs and of love-makings. If a young maid use, as it is used too commonly, to sing foolish songs of love, she will be made a whore even before she know what whoredom is. And so is she emboldened and enheartened to all unshamefacedness, and the devil getteth possession of her before she know what chastity meaneth, and how horrible a thing it is to put forth herself to such lewdness, and to break her faith and troth which she have plighted when she comes to marriage. When a maid can be able to discern all this, she shall be utterly marred aforehand if she acquaint herself with lewd songs. And it is wonder that this mischief cannot be redressed, whereby it appeareth that Satan laboureth in that behalf, and straineth himself to the uttermost, knowing that he hath us at a great advantage, if he may so sow his cursed cockle to corrupt our good manners. For surely if the devil wrought not in it, we might more easily deal to dispatch and rid away all those ribaldries and filthiness out of remembrance, which are as deadly plagues as I have said afore. But it is impossible, for, though there were sorer punishment for it than there is, yet both wives and maids had lever go to prison, and to be taken for harlots than to correct that vice which is the corrupter of the whole world, and to bridle their cursed tongues which serve for nothing but to infect all things with that filthiness. Yet notwithstanding we shall have the less excuse after such warning, and as for them that stop their ears, and will needs harden their hearts against the Holy Ghost, they shall be driven to yield an account, not only for offending God so many ways, but also for poisoning of folk's souls, after a sort which is a thing much more heinous and horrible than if they had murdered their bodies. They that do but poison beasts shall be driven out of the world, and they deserve it well. And what shall be done to them which not only slay the body with their poisons, but also make an assault upon the soul, and cease not to corrupt all goodness, and all fear of God, yea, and all honesty, as I said afore, by their lewd talk. Ye see, then, that the thing which we have to remember in this strain is that, inasmuch as God hath appointed our tongues to such use as we have heard, that is to wit, to the service of our neighbours, and to the benefiting of them both in body and soul, we must employ them diligently thereunto. And therefore let us above all things keep us from infecting of those that were inclined to serve God, and from thrusting them out of the way by casting forth such speeches before them as may call their goodness, and provoke them to evil, yea, and make them more licentious and negligent. For evil speech corrupteth good manners many ways. There are some naughty packs to be seen that are scorners of God, and if they be warned to have any remorse of their doing, Hush, they say, God passeth much for this. Again, other some come not to such extremity, but yet will they lessen their faults, so as they shall be but venial sins with them. Other some do cloak all things, and all others generally will say, Tush, we must not be so careful. God will not have us to live so sadly, for what a thing were that. It should not be lawful for us to laugh within a while. And their speaking after that manner is to bury all fear of God by little and little. Ye see then that the many sorts of such folk, yea, many more than needeth, do show themselves too much, and they be as many records, and lewd words are poisons, to murder men's souls withal, and therefore let us stand upon our guard in that behalf. 
And, first of all, as I said, let every man beware that he speak chastely, and use none other than honest speech. And therewithal let us shun all them as devils which jest out of the matter after that fashion, notwithstanding that, for their mirth's sake, they be welcome to us, and sometimes also farewell of free cost. Oh, say we, here's a good fellow, he will make all the company merry. Now, whereas men are desirous to have such folk to tickle their ears by casting forth their jests and dalliances, and such other like things, let us learn to shut them out of our doors, for we would not willingly hold up our throat to a dagger, when we saw it drawn. Neither would we go seek one to murder our bodies. And why, then, do we long sore to have our souls murdered, which is much worse? Wherefore let us eschew such folks as can do nothing but quench and put out the fear of God in us, and make us shameless and hard-hearted, and bereave us of all honesty and shamefastness, for fear lest God pay us the wages that we deserve for having acquaintance and familiarity with such people. And therefore let us do our endeavour that such plagues may not reign among us. Be not deceived, saith St. Paul, speaking of such scoffers, which serve but to provoke our lusts, to bereave us of all remorse of conscience, to abate the fear of God in us, and to abuse us in such wise as sin may delight us. Beware, saith he, that none of you be deceived by lying words, because it hath been a common thing in all ages. And therefore let us put St. Paul's counsel in your, and not only let every of us keep good watch that he be not surprised, but also let us have a care to keep other folks from being corrupted after that fashion. That is the thing which we have to remember here. And we see what he saith, namely, that we be weak enough, yea, and too weak, yea, and so saped in evil, as is horrible to see. And therefore, when we covet to record still some new lesson of lewdness, and are quickened and spurred up by others, is it not as if a drunkard, having well stuffed and filled himself already, even till he be ready to burst, should seek still to provoke his appetite, that he might drink and laid in wine new again? So then, is not every man sufficiently given to evil of himself, though there were no lewd songs nor unthrifty talk at all? But when the devil findeth any gap open, and can draw us further to naughtiness by his flatteries, so as he can harden us in it, I pray you, do we not give him the upper hand of us, so as we be wholly at his pleasure, that he may drive us and draw us whither he listeth? Now hereupon St. Paul addeth, that we must not grieve the Spirit of God, wherewith we be marked and sealed against the day of our redemption. Here is yet one declaration more, which ought to touch us near. True it is that the things which have been spoken ought well of good desert to be thoroughly minded. For what a thing is it for us to pervert the order of nature by applying our tongues to the clean contrary, which God hath appointed to his honour and to the benefit of our neighbours? And again, to be guilty of infecting all men with our filthiness, of perverting those that were given to the serving of God, and of provoking those persons unto beastly unshamefacedness that had some shame and honesty in them. Should not this move us sufficiently, if we were not too too blockish? But St. Paul telleth us of a thing that ought to scare us yet much more. Grieve not God's spirit, saith he. And why? For we be marked with it, saith he, and it dwelleth in us, and sealeth the hope of our salvation in our hearts. And it is also the seed of life which we have to warrant us our everlasting salvation." Now it is certain that when we take such liberty both to do evil and to speak evil, it is a fighting against God's Spirit as much as in us lieth, and a choking of the light which he hath kindled in us, and a taking of the bridle in our teeth to do all naughtiness, and that cannot be done but to his grief. This is the thing which St. Paul intended to say here. 
Howbeit, let us mark first of all that he speaketh here after the common manner of the Holy Scripture, for we know there are no passions in God. It is the property of men to be sorry and grieved. God is unchangeable, notwithstanding, because we conceive not the highness which is in him, and that his majesty is so infinite as we cannot come near it. Therefore useth he that similitude, even for our rudeness sake. Therefore, when, as it is said, that God is provoked to wrath, it is not that there is any moodiness in him, but to make us hate the evil, because we fight against God in transgressing his law, and that is all one, as if we would provoke him to anger through our spitefulness. The scripture then meaneth not to make God subject to any change when it saith that he is angry or sorry, but it leadeth us to our own doings, to the intent that our vices should displease us so much the more, and that we should even abhor them. And here St. Paul speaketh not of God's anger, but also saith, that the Holy Ghost is sorry or grieved. And why? We be not God's children, as he speaketh of it in the epistle to the Romans, except his Holy Ghost dwell in us. For are we worthy by nature to be mustered in such array as to be fellows with the angels? We, I say, which are but rottenness, and moreover cursed in Adam, and children of wrath. Howbeit God by his Holy Spirit calleth us to this inestimable honour and dignity of being his children, so as we may call upon him as our Father, and have familiar resort unto him. That therefore is done by the Holy Ghost, and for the same cause is he called the Spirit of Adoption. For the inheritance of heaven belongeth not to us, but in respect that we be God's children. We be not so of ourselves and by nature, as I told you, and therefore it followeth that it cometh of God's free bestowed goodness. Now he sealeth up all this in our hearts by his Holy Ghost, and that is the cause why it is said that we have a mortal body. The thing that is meant hereby is not only our feet, hands, skin, bone, and flesh, but that there is a lump of corruption in us by reason of the dwelling of sin in us, which bringeth nothing but death. For have we lived any time? We go away into dust and cinder, and there is not that man which seeth not himself already besieged with a hundred deaths, considering the diseases and infirmities whereunto we be subject. And again, age makes us to stoop, so as we perceive a long while aforehand how we be summoned to come to our grave. Seeing then that we perceive such a number of deaths all at once together in our bodies, and a much greater dungeon in our souls, how should we hope that God would take us up into his kingdom? But St. Paul saith that the spirit is life. If there be but one grain or one spark of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ in us, let us assure ourselves that we shall be partakers of his glory. For it is said that he is raised again from the dead, and hath gotten the upper hand of it by his Holy Spirit. After that manner are we quickened with him, waiting till we be delivered from all the corruptible nature that compasseth us about. And now St. Paul saith that we be sealed by the Holy Ghost, as is said of it in the first chapter heretofore, and in other places besides, as in the second to the Corinthians. And this similitude is very fit, for although God's promises ought to be of sufficient authority, and to have full credit with us of themselves, yet notwithstanding, such is our misbelief, that we cannot give credit to them, nor rest upon them, till they be confirmed and warranted unto us, so as we may say, Behold, it is even God himself that speaketh. But what for that? On the one side, we be forepossessed with distrust, and on the other side, we be always doubtful and misgiving, and cannot rest upon the things that are told us in God's name, by reason whereof his promises are always unavailable, until he print them in our hearts, which thing he doeth by his Holy Ghost. 
For as a piece of evidence is made authentical by setting to of the seal, so God warranteth his promises of our salvation in our hearts by signing and sealing of them there with his Holy Spirit. That then is the cause why it is so often said that God's Spirit sealeth up the inheritance of our salvation in our hearts. And for the same cause also is he named the earnest penny in another place. For when a bargain is made, although there be no present payment seen, yet if an earnest penny be given, the bargain is concluded, and the chapman cannot say afterward, Tush, I repent me of my bargain, and I will forsake it. Neither can the other say, I find myself deceived and overseen, and therefore I will rather keep my wares still. But each of them is bound, the one to make the money, the other to deliver his wares. Even so is it said that God's spirit is the earnest penny of the life of our souls. And why? For, as I said, God bindeth himself unto us in respect of our infirmity, whereto we be too much inclined. Indeed, it is not for that he oweth us anything, but we have so much the more cause to magnify his goodness, in that he is so free-hearted as to bind himself willingly unto us, whereas he oweth us not anything, and vouchsafeth to assure us of it, because he seeth us so feeble and weak, like as when he sweareth. It is not for that he on his own part needeth to add anything to his single word, for he himself is the truth, and the thing that cometh of him must not be doubted of. It might seem, therefore, that the oath which he maketh is superfluous, and that he doth but abuse his own name. No, but he doeth it because he seeth us weak, and that we have need to be held up many ways, and specially because he seeth us given to misbelief, and therefore that he must be fain to remedy it. So then, whensoever God sweareth, therein he stoopeth unto us for pity of our wretchedness. And the sealing and ratifying of his promises in us by his Holy Spirit is even because it is impossible that we of ourselves should believe him, and we could not be sure of the things that he promiseth us, to call upon him and to overcome all the temptations of the world, unless he use that means. And therefore we have so much the more need to bear this text in mind, where St. Paul saith that the Holy Ghost sealeth in our hearts. And hereupon we may gather a good lesson to humble us withal, namely that we shall never yield God the chief honour that he requireth at our hands, except he himself draw us to it and give us grace to discharge it withal. The thing that he requireth above all other is that his word have all authority over us, and that we yield it such reverence as he may no sooner speak, but we shall by and by answer, Amen. That is to say, as there may be a right or full accord betwixt them. That is the obedience of faith, which is the chief sacrifice that God requireth. But contrarywise, on our part, there is nothing but replying against God's word. We be full of lusts, and although we seem not to make utter resistance against him, and to play the mad bedlams as many do, yet are we given to a number of wicked imaginations, as we see, insomuch that some are, as it were, fanatics, especially when a man speaks to them of God. For then will they have their mouth open to spew out their blasphemies, and to enter into disputation and debate, showing themselves utterly unwilling to receive any good doctrine. And other some fall not into such fury and outrage, but yet they let slip whatsoever is said to them, and look what comes in at the one ear goes out again at the other. Howsoever the case stand, neither the one nor the other do give glory unto God in receiving his word with such humility as they ought to do. Therefore let us acknowledge our own naughtiness and be sorry for it, seeing we provoke God's displeasure in not yielding him the honour of thinking him to be soothfast and true. 
Indeed, we will not say in open speech that his word is vain, we will not accuse him of leasing and deceit, but yet doth he protest that we do him as much wrong as that comes to, if we credit not his sayings. How long will this people slander me, saith he, and rob me of mine honour? It is a complaint which he maketh there by Moses, and in many other places in the scripture. And surely if St. John's saying be true, namely that when we believe God, we set to our seals that he is true, that is to say, we uphold him to be faithful, then contrarywise, if we have not that sure groundwork in our faith, and that God's word win not so much at our hands as to make us to betake ourselves wholly unto it without any gainsaying, it is all one as if we counted God a liar, insomuch that although we would hate and abhor to utter any such blasphemy, yet doth he complain that we have done him the like reproach, and not without cause. And therefore we see what frowardness there is in our nature until God remedy it. Furthermore, whereas he saith that the Holy Ghost sealeth his promises after that fashion in our hearts, let us understand that that is because he hath vouchsafed to choose us. We have seen already heretofore how he calleth us to him, and enlighteneth us with the truth of his gospel, according to his choosing of us before we were born, yea, and before the making of the world. Therefore let us understand that God's Spirit is a special gift which is not bestowed upon all men indifferently, but is reserved as a treasure for his children whom he hath chosen. And for that cause we ought to bear well in mind the foretouched title that he is the Spirit of Adoption. Also the unbelief which is throughout the whole world giveth an evident proof of our God's goodness in that it hath pleased him to engrave his word in our hearts. For it is certain that in all such as fight against God, or which be as brute beasts, and so careless that this word doth no whit move them, we see what we be of nature, and what we should be still if our Lord, for his mercy's sake, had not touched us with his Holy Spirit. And so ye see what we have to bear in mind. Wherefore, whensoever the doctrine of our salvation is talked of, let us beware that we presume not anything upon our own wit and policy, but let us be small and lowly, that our Lord may enlighten us by his Holy Spirit. And when we perceive that we have received such grace already, let us not bury it, but let us give the praise of it to him that deserveth it. And on the contrary part, since we feel many perplexities, doubts, and unquietness, and that sometimes we be tossed like a ship that is ready to topple over, and to be sunk in the bottom of the sea. Since we perceive ourselves to be so troubled, let us consider our own frailty, that although we have been trained up in God's word, yet will there be no steadfastness in our hearts, except God work it there. And thereupon let us run to the remedy, and pray God to keep the seed that he hath sown in us from choking, and the assuredness of our heritage from ever wearing out that although Satan strain himself to the uttermost to destroy that which God hath put into us, yet it may be strengthened in us from day to day, as is needful for us. And so ye see what we have to bear in mind in this that St. Paul saith, that we be sealed and marked by God's Spirit. And now he warneth us that it is too heinous a crime to grieve him, yea, and too intolerable a treachery. I have told you already that this similitude intendeth not to impute any excessive passion to God's Spirit, but to put us to shame, and to make the hair to stand up upon our heads. Behold, saith St. Paul, God's Spirit hath chosen his dwelling place in us, according as it is said in another place, that not only our souls, but also our bodies are the temples of the Holy Ghost. And he is glad to be in us, and to abide there, and to make it his continual home. Now then, if we fall to spiting of him, as though we minded to chase him and banish him from us, is it not too devilish a dealing? 
and yet notwithstanding when we seek allurements of unthriftiness, when we take leave to corrupt ourselves by lewd and loose talk, and when we labour to have other naughty means to turn us away from the fear of God, and to bring our consciences asleep, it is all one, as if we endeavoured of set purpose to chase away and to banish God's spirit from us, and to say, we will have no more acquaintance with him. Must we not needs be most miserable and cursed creatures, when we overshoot ourselves so far? That then is the thing that St. Paul had an eye unto. Therefore, whensoever we be tempted unto evil, and the devil laboureth to make us take pleasure in it, that all remorse of conscience may be put away, let us call to mind the things that are spoken here, and say, How now, thou rejoicest, and wherein? In the serving of Satan. And on the other side, thou lettest him go, that is thy life, the earnest penny of thy salvation, and the foundation of the felicity which hath been purchased so dearly for thee by our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us think advisedly upon this, and moreover it is certain that every faithful man ought to feel the thing that is declared here. For if our Lord have touched us and given us the sealing that is spoken of here, it will be a grief unto us when we be tempted unto evil. And so the thing that holdeth us in awe is the spirit which watcheth and wardeth to withstand the enemy. And if we go above to kill this benefit, that is to say, this inworking that God giveth us, it is all one as if we grieved the Holy Ghost. This, then, is a most certain experience, and such a one as showeth us that the thing which the Holy Ghost hath put into us is utterly against all evil, and that there must needs be a battle and strife betwixt them, insomuch that none of God's children can sin, but he shall by and by be stirred up to fear, and to say in himself, Alas! Where shall I become? In what plight have I brought myself? What shall I do? And that is the sorrow that St. Paul speaketh of, which we must not shun. But if we nevertheless will go on still in evil, it is all one as if we took pleasure in driving and chasing away of God's Spirit. The prophet Isaiah saith, We provoke God's Spirit to bitterness when we refuse the good doctrine that he setteth afore us. But St. Paul passeth yet further here, for indeed it is a kind of provoking God to wrath, when we yield not to his doctrine, which is a sure record of the care which he hath of our salvation, and of the love that he beareth us. But we must come to the considering of every of us by himself. God hath vouchsafed to engrave the belief of his gospel in my heart, to the intent I should be sure of my salvation. And how doth he that? by vouchsafing to choose me for his house, and to dwell in me by his Holy Spirit. Now then, if I blot out his grace, it is as much as if I meant to estrange myself from God willfully, and therefore let us beware of such extremity, and let us hold ourselves in awe. And therewithal let us mark also how St. Paul addeth for the last word, that God's sealing and marking of us after that manner by his Holy Ghost is against the day of our redemption. Hereby he showeth us that if we will well overcome Satan's allurements and the lusts of our flesh, and all the temptations of the world, we must always mind the heavenly life that is promised us, and whereunto we ought to travail. Now then, God's Spirit, saith St. Paul, is not given us to be withdrawn from us again when we have once felt his grace and power, but to the intent that the seal and print of him should abide with us even unto the day of our redemption, that is to say, till we be delivered from this transitory life and from all the miseries wherewith we be besieged. Now, therefore, seeing that God hath given us his Holy Spirit to guide and govern us both in life and death, and with intent that we should never be deprived and destitute of him, let us look well to it that 
he may always keep the possession that he hath taken in us, and we also enjoy that inestimable benefit of his continuing with us forever, that he may guide us and hold us always up by strong hand during all the course of our life. The cause, then, why St. Paul doth purposely call us back to the last day, is to make us live soberly, knowing that, like as we have need to be guided throughout by the power of God's Spirit, so if we be deprived of it, and estranged from Him, and left destitute of His grace, it is to be feared that we shall fall into a reprobate mind. As touching the day of our redemption, St. Paul by that word understood the happiness which we hope for, and which is hidden from us as yet. It is true that we were redeemed in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we enjoy not that benefit as yet. We may well say that Jesus Christ is our Redeemer, that is to say, He hath delivered us and set us free from the bondage and subjection of death and sin wherein we were, by paying our ransom and by making our atonement. Ye see then that we be redeemed as in respect of the Son of God, for he hath performed all that was requisite for our deliverance and salvation, as he himself avoweth with his own mouth." But when we come to ourselves, we find not this redemption there. And for that cause, as well in this place as in the eighth to the Romans, St. Paul saith that the last day wherein Jesus Christ will appear is the day of our salvation and deliverance. And why? We see what a number of miseries beset us round about. Yea, we carry them with us, and they be enclosed in our bodies and in our souls. It behoveth us, therefore, to seek a better state than that which we see here. And for the same cause is it said that our salvation lieth in hope, and that we hope not for the thing that we see, but that God intendeth to feed our hope. And whereas he showeth not the things to our eyes which he promiseth, and which it behoveth us to wait for at his hand, it is to the end that although we be forlorn wretches in this world, yet we should not cease to rejoice in him, knowing that we shall not be disappointed in waiting for the heritage which he hath purchased for us. And so ye see what is meant by the word redemption, which is set down here. Wherefore, let us learn to be so armed and fenced with God's Spirit, to fight against all Satan's temptations, as he may never find us unprovided nor out of order. And that that may be done, let us pray God, so to engrave his truth in us by the same Spirit, as we may get victory by it, and overcome all that is against our salvation, and that we, continuing in our vocation that God calleth us to, may take courage and be patient until our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our life, do appear, that our life and our full happiness may also be manifested in him at his coming. And now let us fall down before the majesty of our good God, with acknowledgement of our faults, praying him to take us to mercy, and not to impute the great number of our sins unto us, whereby we be blameworthy before him, but rather to bear with our infirmities and to cleanse us of them from day to day, that we may grow and increase in all his gracious gifts, and put far from us all evil that may seduce us and thrust us out of the way, and that by that means we may draw nearer and nearer unto him, until we be fully knit unto him at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that it may please him to grant this grace not only to us, but also to all people and nations of the earth, etc. End of Sermon 32